wine and wineskins. And what we were saying was uh, a wineskin, it's our lifestyle. And the wine is really God's grace given to us. And we say God's grace is any good thing that we don't deserve, which basically then is any good thing because we don't deserve any of them. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. So anything we get from God, that's not death, whether that's tangible or intangible, it's an expression of his grace. Is this thing cutting in and out? No? Okay. I'm just paranoid. So uh, it's an expression of his grace. And so when he gives us his grace, that's what we said was the wine that he's pouring into our life. And we have a responsibility of then creating a lifestyle that can accommodate that or that's appropriate or that fits that wine. And we said there's, if, if that's you and you're doing that, that you get a gold star and you can move to the head of the class. For the rest of us where that's not really happening, we said there's kind of two different ditches that we can fall in. One is people that just don't know the grace God has given to them. We talked in January and February and March a lot about our deals and what God's put in our heart. This is another way of saying that. We don't have time to dig into that. If that's you and you'd say, I don't know what, these, what this grace is that God has given me. I don't know what he's called me to. I don't know what my deal is. I don't know what stirs my heart. Come see me and we can talk about it. A few things that you can be thinking of in advance of that. One, what makes you cry? That's what stirs your heart. What's your testimony? What has God done in your life? And then what do you do well? If you look at those three areas, you can begin to see maybe the particular expressions of God's grace that he's given to you. But wherever you are, we have to discern that. That's step one. We have to discover what God has given to us or the rest of it it doesn't work. Most of us know that, though. Many of you, you know that whether that's intuitively or because you've spent time with the Lord. You kind of have this sense of what stirs your heart. You have this sense of what... Uh, kind of gets you fired up, or you have this sense of what you're drawn to, the issue is then creating a lifestyle that will accommodate that, that fits that, that's appropriate to that. Most of us don't have that, so what we have is a mess. God is pouring grace into our life, and because we don't have a, a wineskin to hold it, it's just we lose it. We spill it everywhere. We can't receive it, and then we can't give it away to other people because it's all over the floor. And so that's what we started talking about last week. And one thing I said was very difficult to begin to talk about specifics because there's many different wineskins or lifestyles as there are people. You know, uh, John and I could both have this grace of hospitality, but we would live it out two different ways because we're two different folks with two different situations. And we can both be tracking with God. And so it can be difficult to really get into specifics. But at the same time, I think this is incredibly important and largely neglected kind of where we live to say I'm going to bend my lifestyle or shape my lifestyle around the grace that God has given to me. If you look throughout the Bible, this is basically God's expectation. When he gives us grace, whatever that looks like, he expects us to do something with it. When he told Moses about the flood and said build an ark, that's revelation. That's This is what's coming. That's an expression of grace. And he expected Noah, I said Moses, he expected Noah to do whatever... He had to do to build the ark. If he had to buy a saw or if he had to learn how to plane wood or whatever Noah had to do to get the ark built, God expected him to do it. You had to quit your job so you got more time to cut down trees and quit your job and cut down trees. When God called Abraham uh, to a foreign land, he expected Abraham to pack up the camels and go. Say goodbye to who you got to say goodbye to, sell what you got to sell, pack what you can pack, and get moving. When Jesus called Peter and Andrew, 
to follow him. They dropped their nets. They were fishermen. They quit their jobs. They left their families to follow him. Kind of the throughout the Bible, standard operating procedure is when God gives you grace, he expects you to then shape your life around it. We've talked before about that trivial pursuit, trivia pursuit little pie. And some of us see our walk with the Lord as one of the wedges that we get. And that's absolutely not true. It's the wheel. And then you put the other wedges in there. And when God stirs your heart, this grace that he wants to give you, he expects you to then shape your life around it. And when we don't, it's not good. It's kind of, it's passive disobedience. We're not shaking our fist at God saying, I'm not going to follow you. But we're neglecting what he's given to us, which ultimately leads to a life of disobedience, frustration, and very little impact moving forward. That's not where you want to be. Culturally, our culture will tolerate kind of a level of Christianity. Nobody cares if you believe in Jesus. Nobody at all. That's fine. You can believe him. You can love him. You can do whatever. Everybody's good with that. Most of the people in America believe in Jesus. Where you're going to begin to meet resistance is when you begin to try to make lifestyle choices based on your belief in and love for Jesus. That's when folks start saying things. There are a lot of cultures that suppress the grace of God. They actively try to stamp it out. That's not where we live. We live in a culture that neuters the grace of God and says, you can, yeah, you get just enough grace, you get just enough Jesus so you can feel good about yourself, so you can be a better person, and so you can avoid hell. We're all good with that. But if you begin to start trying to shape your life around what God is doing, you're going to meet some resistance. And unfortunately, some of that resistance comes from other Christians. And that's what I want to talk a little bit about today. I want to give you a look at this look at a woman's life, look at one episode in her life where to me she did it. She made a lifestyle choice, kind of this wineskin choice to incorporate or to accommodate the grace God has given to her, had given to her. And I want us to pull out a few things from that, so hopefully you can begin to see what it will look like for you moving forward. This is Mark 14, starting in verse 1. Now the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some sly way to arrest Jesus and kill him. But not during the feast, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar, a very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also, will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. So this is a picture of Mary. This is Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, whom Jesus raised from the dead. This, this same story is in Matthew and in John. And if you piece all of them together, you get... This is Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. And the people who rebuked her are the disciples in general and Judas Iscariot particularly. You see that in John. So that's just to fill in some of the details. What she did was wrong on about 17 cultural levels. She didn't have any business 
being in this room where she was. Women didn't eat this kind of a meal. This was guys only. And if women were there, it was to serve. Definitely not to come in and cause this commotion. So you imagine, you're sitting where you're sitting. Imagine a woman comes in and to the person next to you, breaks open a bottle of perfume and dumps it on their head. What is your reaction? You probably slide down a seat or three. That's what this is. John says that he poured it on her feet. So you got head and feet, and then, and this would be uncomfortable, he wipes her, his, she wipes his feet with her hair. You want, I don't want to see that. The room smells, probably smells good, but the room smells. You've got disciples yelling at her. There's some type of an uproar. She caused a huge scene. What we know about Mary, what I can pull together, we see her a few times. We see her in Luke, we see her a couple of times in John, and we see her here in, in uh, Mark. And every time we see her, she's doing something in this vein. To me, the grace that God has given her, kind of her deal, is she loves kind of ministering to Jesus or blessing him or be kind of expressing devotion to him. We all have a we all do that on some level. God desires for all of us to do that. But she seems to have kind of a special thing where that's, that's what she does. She seems to be drawn to Jesus' feet and to really just kind of love on him and worship him. To me, that's the grace that God has given her. And you can see, some. Of, to me, this is a, a wineskin, a lifestyle choice that she makes to accommodate that grace. When I'm talking about creating a wineskin or a lifestyle, don't think about New Year's resolutions. That's not helpful. Don't think about five and ten year plans. Think about tomorrow. What are you going to do tomorrow that accommodates, that's appropriate, that fits this grace that God has given you? If you can't get tomorrow, you're not going to get five years. We have to start where we are, which is here. Mary's choice was not, it wasn't a, it was very practical, it was very concrete, it was very tangible, it was very present. And those are the kind of things that we need to be thinking about, talking about, praying about. If you know God has stirred something in your heart, if you know what your deal is, if you know what the grace that God has given you is, you know what the wine is, for goodness sakes, make a choice today. Make a choice tomorrow that is appropriate to that, that carries that out. You're never, again, you're never going to get here unless you, you've got to start where you are and make the steps. And God will show you as you go. A few things I want you to see from Mary. Her choice was intentional. She didn't just accidentally fall through the door, trip, and the perfume busted over Jesus' head. She knew what she was doing. She wasn't invited, so she had to find out where he was. I don't think there were bouncers or anything, but somehow she got into a place where she wasn't supposed to be. She got to Jesus and she busted open the perfume and poured it on his head. It was an intentional choice that she made. For us, it's going to be the same thing. You need to make intentional, concrete choices that will begin to create a lifestyle that bends around, that shapes around, forms around the grace that God is giving to you. Again, it's not, it's not necessarily these sweeping bumper sticker statements that we... That, no, concrete, tangible intentional. The pull of our culture will not get you here. By default, you're not going to develop a lifestyle that's formed around the grace of God. That's not where we live. Where we live is great. There are plenty of places that are a whole lot worse. 
but, but where we live is not the conveyor belt of our culture. It's not going to pull you towards a lifestyle that's appropriate for the grace of God. It's going to pull you towards a lifestyle that's all based on you. And you know that. That's what we cater to. That's what our, our culture, the conveyor belt of our culture, is to us meeting our needs, our wants, and really money as well, kind of money with a capital M. So you're going to have to make intentional choices to get off that conveyor belt and to begin to shape your life around the life that God has given you. Second thing you see is her choice was costly. You know, just kind of the obvious one, this perfume was worth a year's wages, so that meant it would have taken care of a poor family for a whole year, worth a good bit of money. It was her financial security blanket. She was a single woman. It's what she had. That was her safety net in case she didn't get married. She had this thing, and she just literally dumped it out. So she dumps out her security as an act of devotion to the Lord, and it was appropriate for her to do that. And so it's going to cost you something as well. It also cost Mary her reputation. People, again, imagine the woman who comes in. You probably look at her sideways the next time you see her after she dumps perfume on somebody's head. That's where Mary was as well. People knew who she was. They knew who her family was. She did this thing. Other people saw you guarantee they talked about it. it. She took a few hits, I would imagine, in terms of her reputation. Every time you say yes to something, you're saying no to other things. When I order pepperoni pizza, I'm saying no to pepperoni and sausage. When I say yes to my wife, I'm saying no to every other potential wife out there. Every time you say yes to X, you're saying no to everything that's not X. You get that. In order to develop a lifestyle that encompasses or accommodates the grace of God, you're going to say yes to what he's doing, so you are going to wind up saying no to other things as well. That's just the way it is. What you want, to me, what you want is you want to be so convinced about the thing you're saying yes to that the no's become easy. There's not a lot, of, I haven't met a lot of guys who on their wedding day are running through all of the girls they can't marry. Doesn't happen. I haven't seen it yet. Because they're so convinced about this one they're saying yes to, the others are way in the, they're in the rearview mirror. And that's where you want to be. That's why it's so important for you to nail down what God is doing in your life, what your deal is. Because in saying yes to doing that, you're going to be saying no to many other things that aren't necessarily sinful, bad things. They just don't get you there. If, if your thing, your deal, your disgrace is hospitality, you've got to be around. You have to have enough time in your life to be with other people. So you're going to have to say no to some things that aren't bad in order to have enough space in your schedule to be hospitable. That's, just, that's the way it is. You only got 24 hours a day. So if you're going to spend some of that with other people, then there are certain things you can't do. You know that. If your thing, your, what makes you cry is human trafficking, that stirs you and you want to fight for these victims. You might need to go back to school and become a lawyer so that you can legally represent these folks. You're going to have to say no to a lot of things if you're going to say yes to that. If you're, it's local politics, integrity in politics. Good luck. If that's your thing, we need, it's got to be somebody's thing. If that's what stirs your heart, then you've got to bend your life around. You might need to run for office. You might need to start writing letters to the 
Marietta Daily Journal when guys do things that are boneheaded. You might need to go sit up there during the city council meetings and just pray that those guys would make decisions that are righteous. I don't know. If you're thinking, man, I want people to know, I want children to know that God loves them and that they have worth in his eyes. And you might need to adopt somebody. I mean, they're practical implications of whatever's stirring in your heart. And to say yes to those things, you're going to have to say no to something else. We we all need to know that up front. Like, you can't have it all. That's not how it works. You have, you fully embrace the grace that God is giving you. And that's all you need. And it's all you want when you're doing that. We have friends from this church who've gone to China. Stab me in the eye with a pencil before I want to go and live in China. No. I don't want that food. I want air conditioning. I don't want to have to... No. But for them to say yes to that, this other stuff, yeah, they had to say no to it, and they might miss it a little, but they are loving what they're doing because they know what God has called them to, and they've shaped their life around that grace. And because they're, they, they're focusing on the yes, the no's are not nearly as important. So you've got to figure out what is it, because it is going to cost you. You're going to have to make intentional choices where you say no to things that aren't sinful and aren't bad and that other people might be doing. But you've got to be so convinced that this is the yes, the no's then kind of fall away. Mary's choice was misunderstood by many. This ties in. When she, in, in Luke, I think it's 11, when Jesus comes to her in Martha's house, and he, she, Martha's making the meal and getting the house ready, Mary chooses again to just kind of hang out with Jesus as she's sitting at his feet. Martha goes and tells on her. And Martha misunderstood. Jesus, Mary's being lazy. She's not helping me. Same thing here. These are the disciples. These are supposed to be the, the guys who are in. They rebuke her harshly. That's not nice. They misunderstood what she was doing. And you have to be ready that as you shape your life around the grace of God, this is kind of where I was talking about earlier where our culture, you can, everybody's okay with you believing in Jesus. Just don't let it affect the way you live. Once it starts affecting the way you live, well, that starts getting into other people's space. And you're going to meet resistance. People are going to misunderstand what you're doing. This isn't licensed to be dumb. It's just a recognition that as you shape your lifestyle around the grace God has given you, some people, even some people who love God, are going to misunderstand you. And you've got to be ready for that. And you've got to be able to take that with grace and with humility. And you can't let it pull you off track. You've got to run the race that God's put in front of you. You can't run the race he's put in front of me, and I definitely can't run the one that he's put in front of you. So you have to be willing to be misunderstood if that's what it takes. Again, this, it's not about making being dumb. It's not about being arrogant. It's just a recognition that as you shape your life, can you imagine turning down a promotion because it meant I'm not going to have enough time to spend with my neighbors? Can you imagine somebody doing that? If the grace God has given you is you've got to be with people. You've got to have time in your life to be with people. And taking a promotion means, yeah, it means more money, but it also means more responsibility and more time, and you can't give it. That's compromising the grace God has given you. Then you've got to say no. If, if the grace God has given you is to minister to the poor, you might have to move to a place that you might not want to move where people say, what are you doing? You're never going to get your money back out of that house. And you're going to say, 
I don't care about getting my money back out of that house. The reason I've got to move there is because it's, it's why they moved to China. And so you've got to be willing to be misunderstood. Again, I'm not saying that you fly in the face of wise counsel or any of that, but there's a point where in order to create a lifestyle that is appropriate, that accommodates the grace God has given you, you've got to be willing to be misunderstood or else you'll, you'll pack up and you'll go home. Jesus saw things differently. Look at the contrast between Jesus' response and the response of the disciples. The disciples were indignant. Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and money given to the poor. They rebuked her harshly. Look at what Jesus says. Leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. They're looking through two different lenses. They see the same thing, but they're wearing different sets of glasses. Some of what's going on with the disciples, I'll say, I think it's because Mary was so, what she did was so inappropriate. They were just shocked. Women don't do what she did. And so there's some of this is they're just kind of taken aback. They're taken off guard. But even if you kind of brush aside some of that, if you look at the core of what they're saying and the core of what Jesus is saying, you wonder if they're even looking at the same thing. They call it a waste. He calls it a beautiful thing. Those aren't synonyms in very many people's mind. What they see as a waste, he sees as beautiful. And you need to get that. You might, you, maybe you'll be misunderstood by people around you. The question is, how does he see it? Is it a beautiful thing to him? Other people might say it's a waste, it's a mistake, it's foolish. What does he say? Is he saying it's a beautiful thing? His standards are completely different. These are becoming some of my favorite five words in the Bible. Verse 8. She did what she could. Literally, it's what she had, she did. She did what she could. That was the standard that Jesus used in evaluating Mary's actions. It was appropriate for the grace God had given her. Yeah, they're poor people. And somebody's got to take care of them. That's not Mary's thing. Doesn't mean Mary doesn't care. It's just her thing. The grace God has given her is really to love on Jesus. And what she, she did what she could. This is what she had, and she did it. I want to stay here for a second. Some of you, you know what God has called you to. You know, when I talk about your deal, you know it. You can write it down. You can talk about all of that. But when you think about actually engaging, it's this mountain that to you, it's just huge. And for some of us, when we see a huge mountain, it paralyzes us. We don't do it. We just get overwhelmed. We, we see how insignificant we are, how insufficient the things that we think we have are. I can't climb that thing. And so I just sit at the base. And I talk about it. I don't actually take a step. Some of you are bent the other way. When you see the mountain, it's like, that's a challenge. And you strap on your boots and you just start going. You don't rest. You don't stop. You're just, you're going to summit that thing. Both of those are wrong. Both of those, are, those attitudes are ditches that you don't want to fall into. Je being paralyzed into inactivity or kind of being pumped up to this frantic activity, both are wrong. What the standard is, did you do what you could? That's what he's looking Did you do what you could? What you had, did you do? Y'all remember the story where Jesus feeds 5,000 people? It's the only miracle that's in all four Gospels outside of the resurrection. Very important. Jesus is teaching 5,000 men. It's probably 12 to 15,000 if you add the women and children. 
It's the end of the day. Everybody's tired. The disciples say, you need to cut these guys loose or they're going to faint on the way home. They hadn't eaten all day. And Jesus says, well, you feed them. We don't have, we don't have that kind of food. It costs eight months' wages to feed these guys. You want us to go and spend that kind of money? And Jesus says, see what you've got. So the picture in my mind, I guess, is these 12 disciples kind of mill around the crowd and start taking donations. Who's got something? Who's got something they're willing to share? Who's got something they'll give? One little boy gives his lunch. That's all they come back with. So either nobody had food or there are a whole lot of stingy people. This one little boy gives his lunch, five loaves of bread and two fish. Jesus says that'll work. He prays. He divides this one meal into 12 portions, gives a portion to each disciple and says, y'all go feed them. And they do. And the Bible says everybody had their fill, and each disciple still had a basket full left over. He had what he started with. That's the picture. The little boy had enough food to feed one guy. There's 11,999 he couldn't take care of. That's not his thing. He did what he could. What he had, he did. He had one lunch, and he gave it. He didn't give six loaves because he didn't have six loaves. He also didn't give four. He gave what he had. He had five, he gave five. And then Jesus did the rest. For us, that's the standard. I don't care what you can't do. And God definitely doesn't care what you can't do. He cares what you can do. You're motivated. You're, yes, life. I want to see women carrying their babies to full term. We want to end the abortion. And you get overwhelmed when you look at the number of abortions in our country and how entrenched the mindset is. And you think, I can't do anything. And it causes you to sit on the sideline. Or you think, I've got to do everything. And you wear yourself out. Both are bad. What can you do? Can you adopt a kid? Can you volunteer one day a week? Can you vote for a pro-life politician? What can you do? What you have, do. That's it. That's what Jesus is looking for. Then it's a beautiful thing. If you're doing what you can, it's a beautiful thing. And it's not, oh, he's just doing what he can. It's not patronizing. It's not lowering the bar. It's appropriate. That's what we're, we're looking for. We're looking for what fits. There's a parable Jesus tells in a couple of different Gospels about a, a king who's about to leave. And so he gives three of his guys some money. He gives one guy five talents, one guy two talents, and one guy one talent. He leaves and then he comes back. What did y'all do while I was gone? The guy with five doubled it. It's ten. The master says, great. The guy with two, I doubled it. It's four. The master says, great. The guy with one, I was scared of you. I didn't do anything. I buried it. The master says, not great. Take it away from him and give it to the guy that has ten. I don't care if you're five talents, two talents, or one talent. I don't care how you see yourself. He's given you something. There's grace that he's given to you. And what he wants to know is, what are you doing with it? If he's given John five and he's got given me two, he's not judging us on the same thing. I'm being judged by what I've got. That's it. Not what John has, what I've got. And John's being judged based on what he has. So I don't care how you see yourself, with a little bit or with a lot. Either way, what God is saying is, what you have been given, what you have, did you do? Did you do what you could? That's what Mary did. She had this one bottle of perfume, and so she used it to anoint Jesus. It was appropriate for what God had done in her, the grace God had given her, it was appropriate for the situation, preparing him for burial. And so Jesus says it's a beautiful thing. I'll say the same thing to you. Some of you are paralyzed by inactive, into inactivity. 
you're overwhelmed. You look at this mountain and you say, there's no way. There's 12,000 people here and I've got a bag lunch. Not your job. Your job is to do something with that bag lunch. Jesus' job to multiply it. You give it to him, he'll take care of the rest, whatever that looks like. Some of you are the opposite. All right, there's 12,000 people. I've got this little bag lunch. If everybody takes this much, uh, no, not your job. You're doing too much. You know which way you're bent. You know which ditch you're prone to fall into. The road that you want to stay on, do what you can. Because that's what he's looking for. Let's pray. Bo's going to close us with worship. We'll have ministry teams up front. We'll pray for anything that you want prayer for. If it's something about the message, that'd be great. If it's something else, we'd love to pray for you about that as well. So if you're on the ministry teams, if you'd slip up into the corners, you guys can stand. I'll pray, and then Bo will cut us loose uh, when we're done. God, my desire, and I, I think it's because it's your desire, is for every person in this room, whether they ever come back to this church or not, would be to know the grace that you've given them and then to live that out. And God, I, I, I pray that. I, I ask you to do that. God, that you would show us what you've given to us. And then, God, you would direct us in how to create a lifestyle that, that fits, that works, that accommodates that grace so we could continue to receive it and so we could give it away to other people. God, I pray for those who are burned out, worn out by overactivity, that they would hear you say, just do what you can. You're trying to do what I can. Just do what you can and trust me to take care of the rest. God, I pray for those who are paralyzed uh, by just being overwhelmed at, this, at the, what's in front of them. And they would hear you say the same thing. Just do what you can. What I've given you, do. God, and there just be a freedom in this place, a freedom among these people to do what we can do. Not living in our flesh, but doing what we can do and trusting you to do what we can't. God, I pray for those who wonder what you think. God, I pray that you would line us up with who you are. We would begin to hear you say, it's a beautiful thing. You think it's small. You think it's insignificant. You think it's a failure. People are saying it's a waste. I think it's a beautiful thing. God, give us the grace to create a lifestyle that can accommodate, that, that's appropriate for the grace that you're giving to us. I pray in Jesus' name.